Good morning. Welcome to our worship service here at Zion Presbyterian Church. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, we're glad to have you. Glad that you've joined us this morning. We'd love to get to know you a little better. And so if you wouldn't mind filling out the visitor's card there in front of you, in the back of the pew there, and then drop that in the offering plate so that we can learn more about you and you can find out more about us as a church in your worship guide on page 22. Uh, we can see more about what we're all about here at Zion. A few announcements. Uh, if you do have children with you this morning, uh, they are more than welcome to stay in worship with us through the entirety of the service. Uh, but if you prefer a nursery at any point, we have one for infants to three years old, and you can go out through these right front doors, and the nursery is directly behind us, but they're more than welcome to stay in worship. Uh, tonight, we have our corporate prayer uh, tonight at 6.30. Uh, we will not be having a meal uh, before that as we normally do, but we'll have our, our time together in the parlor right behind us here uh, from 6.30 to 7.30. So we invite you to come out, uh, bring the whole family uh, as we come before the Lord uh, and petition and praise Him uh, together as a church body. So that's tonight at 6.30. And this Sunday is our Missionary Sunday, and so we had the opportunity and the privilege to hear uh, from MTW missionaries, uh, Becky and Carl Chaplin, who will be with us this morning to share during our um, Sunday school hour, since we're not having Sunday school this morning. So after our coffee fellowship time in the fellowship uh, hall over there, we'll come back over here at 1115 to hear from them. So please, please come back and hear what God is doing through their ministry this morning. Um, we are taking a break from our Sunday school uh, time for the summer to give our teachers a break, but we're also at the same time planning for the fall. So if you uh, would be willing uh, and you uh, would like to invest in our uh, Covenant children, we'd love to have you help teach uh, those classes beginning in the fall. And so if you could see Anna Quinn, uh, if you're interested in doing that, it's a very uh, rewarding thing and it's not as overwhelming as you might think it is uh, to prepare and teach and invest in the lives of our covenant children, but we would be fulfilling our, our vows as a congregation. So if you're willing to use your, your gifts in that way, please contact Anna Quinn. Uh, there are a few other announcements in our worship guide that you can see of what's coming up in the life of our church, uh, but as we prepare our hearts this morning, we do so to come into the presence of God to hear from Him this morning. So let us come with expectation uh, this morning as we prepare our hearts. Well, good morning, God's beloved people. Welcome to Zion. I'm Paul Joyner, one of the pastors here. Would you stand for our call to worship? God is um, in the midst of his people whenever we gather, and so he himself calls us from his word. From Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in, in me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals, who redeems your life from the pit, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen.
You may be seated. We are, Chad and I were just talking this morning how standing in a place of security really gives you um, the freedom to be honest and vulnerable. And what we just saying is that in Christ, the victory for us is secured in his death and resurrection. And, and uh, there will be a day when we stand with all the saints who belong to Jesus and retell the stories of the triumph of his grace. Well, that comes with this. The triumph of his grace starts with us humbly confessing our sin. And so let me call us to a time of confession as we are turning out from ourselves and clinging to Jesus, repenting of our sin and clinging to our Savior that he might get the triumph for our grace. From Lamentations chapter 3, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depth of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You've taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. Let's take the next few minutes to silently just confess the ways that we have failed to trust God to care for you. Silently confess your sin to him today. Now, this is the hope the gospel gives us. Don't look at your sin anymore. Look at Christ. Look at him crucified for the sins of unbelief that you just confessed. And then receive from the Father's lips your assurance of pardon. One for you in the death of Jesus Christ. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of our Lord. Let's pray together this morning. Father, as we come into your presence, it is a sweet and powerful truth that we can wait quietly while the Lord works out our salvation. We contribute nothing to your great acts of mercy, to the great works of redemption. We just sit quietly. We rest while the Lord works. And Father, we pray today that you would have mercy on us for the unbelieving ways that we try to manage our own life to provide for us and treat our hands like they are the ultimate, to treat our minds like they can construct the best possible plans. Help us, O oh Lord, to be a people who quietly wait for the Lord because you have taken up our cause and you who have provided for us all things in the death 
and resurrection of your son, will you not graciously give us all things that are necessary in this life from the minutest details that we fail to think about to the grand schemes of next steps? Would you, O oh Lord, teach us to trust that your sovereign hand cares for us? Pray for Becky Salters and Ken Campbell in their affliction. Heal them. Heal their bodies. Help them to persevere through this trial. And others who are suffering in their own bodies, help them, God, to remain steadfast and wait for the Lord to turn to you in their despair and hopelessness in the midst of various trials of all kinds. Lord, we pray uh, for families who have lost loved ones fighting for our country's freedom on this Memorial Day weekend. We thank you for the families who are willing to sacrifice and give up so that we might have freedom. And so we pray for those who have lost lives in conflict, that you would provide for and care for those families. Lord, I pray that you would help us today um, because we are we're anxiously sitting here waiting for the, you to be present with us because this is what you've promised, that you hold the church in your hand, Lord Jesus, and the gates of hell can't prevail against her because you are fighting your mission to see souls won to your kingdom, to see hearts transformed, minds brought into conformity to your word. And so help us, God, to anxiously await with a sense of expectation the Lord's work in our midst. Help us just not go through the motions this morning. So, Father, because you're here where your people gather, we pray the prayer that your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please take them out and turn with me uh, to the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 10. If you don't have your Bible with you, there's one provided in front of you. You can find this passage on page 1006. Uh, We have also printed it on page 5 of your worship guide because this is God's holy word given to his people. So in light of that, let's stand this morning in reverence to God's word. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, reading through verse 22. Here... God's word this morning. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. 
Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Remain standing as we sing hymn number 296. We'll be singing all six stanzas as printed on pages 7 and 8 of your worship guide.
may be seated as our ushers come forward to take up our tithes and offerings. If you're visiting with us today and you fill out one of those visitor's cards, you can just drop that in the offering plate. Um, if you are visiting, please don't feel compelled to give. We're just glad to have you here with us this morning. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord Jesus, you are the Lord of all by your obedience even to death. The Father has crowned you King of kings and Lord of lords. He has given you all things. You rule and reign and are bringing all things unto submission under your feet. And out of your abundance, you have given us the riches of our lives to steward, to care for them, to use them for your glory. And so as we give you a portion of what you have entrusted to us, would you use them to spread your gospel deep into the hearts of your people and wide to the lost. We pray this in your name, our King. Amen.
please remain standing with me and turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 28. If you are um, visiting with us today, maybe unfamiliar with the Bible, we printed the text for you there in your worship guide, um, Exodus 28. If you are visiting, we're kind of finishing up or coming close to the end of a series on the tabernacle. So we find ourselves here in Exodus 28 describing the priest's garments. We're going to read, I'm going to read just through verse 5. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. may be seated. Let me pray and ask God's blessing on his word preached this morning. Let's pray together again. God, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would take our cold and hard hearts and make them malleable so that your word could take root and bear a harvest 30, 60, or even a hundredfold what you plant. We pray that you would Teach us, Lord Jesus, as our prophet, that you would speak to us and meet the needs of our hearts with your word. We pray, God, that you would do these things to the end of the praise of your glorious grace. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, you know, access to power really is a game changer, particularly if you're weak and vulnerable, right? So, Uh, The feeling of powerlessness is something that every one of us has experienced to one degree or another. And it is always, whenever you kind of feel vulnerability and powerlessness, it is always um, one of, if not the most humiliating, degrading experiences that we have ever had. Um, It has left scars on us, trauma um, has affected us most of the time that comes when we have felt the most vulnerable and weak. If you've been bullied or abused, the shame that can accompany that experience is debilitating because you have felt absolutely powerless and that feeling of powerlessness has made you feel like you're less than human. And so shame just kind of comes in waves over top of you. 
even if that's not your experience, all of us spend so much of our time avoiding being vulnerable, being weak and powerless. We hate to admit it. You know, hypocrisy underneath the surface is usually just the uh, attempt to cover up how weak and vulnerable we really are. We don't have access to power, most of us. Anxiety, therefore, is born out of our fear of heightened sense. You're not in control and you don't have access to the people in power. And so, what about my needs? Anxiety comes rushing in. There are forces outside of your control. And you don't know what to do with it. Despair the experience, seeing your powerlessness and then realizing I can't do anything about it. So access to power for all of us is a game changer. Feeling powerless leaves us vulnerable and we don't have access to power, then we are utterly hopeless. And it comes out in all these varied ways that I've talked about. So, if the weak and vulnerable, that's us, need access to power, if we're going to experience hope, that's why the tabernacle that we've been studying is the pinnacle of God's work in the Exodus narrative. Israel has gathered around and God has promised to be with His people He was dwelling in their midst, and as a result of the tabernacle being there, God had set up His throne room in the midst of His people. This was the great seat of power for all the universe had camped in the midst of the people who were weak and vulnerable, who had to have God exercise His strong right hand just to bring them out of the hopeless situation of bondage in Egypt. The tabernacle, as we had seen last week and in previous weeks, was the house of God, but particularly decorated such that it was the house of the great king. It was regal and royal and ornate, full of gold and expensive blue yarn, so expensive that only kings had access to it at the center of his home, the tabernacle, was the Ark of the Covenant, which was shaped like the king's footstool. God in heaven reigning, but reigning particularly amongst his people. The king of creation, the Lord who reigned, who holds all things together, had come and set up his home with his people so they could dwell with him and he with them, and they had access to his throne. But here's what we see throughout the tabernacle and particularly in the priesthood that the king of glory doesn't come to us on our terms. We don't set the terms for how we have access to God and how he have access to our lives. He sets the terms we come to him In the terms that he sets, access to God in the midst of his people was both granted, they had access to him, and guarded. It's guarded because he's holy, but granted because of his mercy. 
And this is the last piece of the tabernacle dwelling here in Exodus 28 and in 29, describing the priesthood of God, the people of the tabernacle. It, was, it, would, have been, it would have been nonsensical. It wouldn't have made sense to God for, for him and his economy to set up a home and not invite guests into it. But that, that access was granted, but it was also guarded. And so to understand the function of the priesthood in the in the tabernacle setup, but also in the life of Israel, I think you have to kind of pull back and, and understand how throughout Scripture, God actually deals with humanity. He always deals with humanity through a mediator. Children, you think of mediators, just a, that's kind of a big word, but it just simply means someone who stands between two parties. And so you've, you've kind of used your siblings probably this way. You know, you might have been in trouble um, and so you knew that you had a, you know, a favorite sibling at the time. You're like, there's that one sibling who, like, mom and dad always gives them the things that they want. Usually it's the youngest, right? And so what do you do? You want something for mom and dad, and you know that they might not tell you yes, but they always tell your sibling. They might not tell you yes, but they always tell your sibling yes. And so you send your sibling to go ask. And because a sibling has favor, your parents grant them your wish. You have used them to be a mediator between two parties, a go-between. Your brother is standing and getting favor for you based on their position. That's what a mediator does. A mediator stands between two parties and, 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 and represents them. And God always deals with his people through a mediator. This is a pattern that you see throughout scripture. Abraham was the head, not just an individual, but the head of the nation of Israel. And when God made a promise to him, he mediated all of those promises to the entire nation of Israel that were represented by him. Adam, when he stood in the garden and sinned, all of humanity fell with him. He was mediating all of humanity's presence. Moses, when he stands on Israel's, when he stands on the mountain, receives a word from God, and that word is delivered to the people of Israel. I am going to deliver you out of bondage. He doesn't speak to them directly. He speaks to them through a mediator in Moses. That's the way the priests functioned. They were, they were, God was letting Israel, granting them access to his presence based on his mercy, but only through the mediator's the priest. They were the ones, the only ones who could enter the tabernacle. It was guarded so that Israel on their own could not enter into God's presence. Only through a mediator did they have access to God. And God was very specific about who could be a priest who could have access to his throne, specifically the tribe of, if, of Levi out of the 12 tribes of Israel, only the tribe of Levi could tend to the tabernacle. And then more specifically, the tabernacle, as you moved closer into its rooms and got closer to the presence of God in the holy place, then only one particular family could enter, and only one of those particular family members could enter. This was God's chosen one. Aaron, we're told in verse 1, is the high priest who can enter God's presence. 
only one person of God's own choosing. And this is what we read in verse 1. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron, Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar. Kind of drew a family line. These were the ones who could enter my most holy place. And here's what is these high priests were doing. They were acting as representatives of God's people. He was mediating God's presence to Israel. And Israel was giving access through the great high priest. And so functionally, this is the way it worked. He had clothing as described in, in, verse, uh, in, in chapter 28, starting with verse 16. We're told that he had a, a, a plate of gold on his chest. And this is how it's described starting in verse 16. And on that 12... On that plate of gold that was a, was a square, just like the whole, most holy place itself, was 12 stones described this way. It shall be square and doubled, a span in its length, a span in its breadth. You shall set in it four stones, four rolls of stones, a roll of sardis, topaz, carbuncle. That's the first row. A second roll, emerald, sapphire, diamond. A third roll, jacinth, agate, amethyst. Fourth roll, barrel, onyx, jasper. Four rolls of three stones. Very precious. Outlined in gold filigree, some type of, of, of uh, intricate detail. Um, and then those 12 stones had engraved on them the 12 names of the tribes of Israel. You see what, what's going on. The priest also had on his shoulders two stones on which were engraved the 12 names of the tribes of Israel. What he was doing was carrying them, the entire nation of Israel, carrying them into God's presence, literally on his shoulders and on his heart. And you see, this is the way God's economy still works. Access to God is both granted and guarded. To come into his presence means that you have to come through him through a mediator of God's own choosing. It can't be someone you chose. This was Aaron and the Levitical priests were of God's own choosing. It was granted, but only by God's design. Guarded from others. And what God has provided in the person of Jesus is the chosen one. The one God's own choosing. Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy 2.5. That there's only one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. If you want to approach God, you can only approach him through the person of Jesus Christ. He is the only door into God's presence. The only one fit to mediate because he is of God's own choosing. Did you hear this in Hebrews chapter 12? Sacrifices, offerings you have not desired, but a body you, the Father, has prepared for the Son so that he is by God's choosing the correct mediator. God has opened the way if you come to him through Jesus Christ. And so, come. And this is what he does. He not only, not only mediates so that we can come to God, come with confidence and joy, but he literally, as, 
as the great priest of God's own choosing, he literally, Jesus literally carries us on his shoulders into God's presence and on his heart. He carries you into the throne room of God. You see the tabernacle, we're told, we've, you've heard this over the last few weeks from the book of Hebrews, the tabernacle was just a copy. It was just a shadow of the true throne room of God. It was just a, it was like a little replica of what's really going on in heaven. And this is what we're told. Jesus has passed through the heavens and carried us into the throne room of God, which is now where we dwell. Colossians chapter three, verse one, Paul says this, you like set your minds on things above where Christ is seated and you with him. That's your identity. That's your access to power and you feel weak and vulnerable. This is not who you are. You are seated with Christ in the heavens because he's carried you on his shoulders into the very throne room of God. You've access to God through the person. You don't have to travel now to a holy place. You don't have to wait for a holy place. You don't have to go through some earthly priest or an elaborate ritual to have access to God's presence in Jesus Christ. He is the only mediator you need because he is the mediator that God has provided. You have direct access to God if your faith is in him. One of the functions of the priest as mediator was that they also interceded. They're carrying the needs of God's people into the throne room of God. They carried the entire nation of Israel into the throne room, and there they would plead. They would beg God to act, the, the king of all creation, the one who made mountains rise and fall and the earth open at his command. He would carry the needs of the people of God into that setting and plead, and God would answer and act guarded and granted. And see, this is what happens now when, when uh, we come to his word. He, it cuts us and exposes us. This is what the writer of Hebrews said. God's word comes in and exposes us as unholy people, right? It says, look, if this is what is inside of you, you should have no access to a holy God because of what is inside. That's what the word of God does. The word of God is living and active, Hebrews 4, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from God's sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give an account. This is what God's word does. He cuts us open and says, look what's in your heart. It is of no good. Look at how unholy you are. And then God goes on because he won't leave his people in this weak, exposed, vulnerable place. He immediately goes to the intercession of Jesus Christ as the great high priest who was clothed in our humanity so that we'll see in a second we could be clothed in his glory. But since he was clothed in our humanity, he is able to sympathize with our weakness. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. God's word exposes us. We see how unholy we are. I have a mediator. It's Jesus. I can approach you. 
even though this is what I find in my heart, I can approach you with confidence, God, because you've provided a way for me, you've granted access to me. And I know whatever I find, I can go, Jesus, you know what it's like to, to struggle with this particular area. You, you are tempted, literally tempted, and clothed in our humanity. You are tempted as a high priest. You are tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. So you can plead my case. Father, I'm entering your throne room. I see Jesus representing me there. And this is what he's pleading. This broken, vulnerable sinner needs your help. He'll never be able to fight this. She'll never be able to recover from this unless you pour out your grace in such an abundant way that they are delivered. That's what Jesus is doing for you now. He sympathizes with you. He knows what it's like to be weak and vulnerable, represents you as the mediator before God's throne. All things are granted for you that you need. He was clothed in our humanity so that we could be clothed in his glory. This priest had very specific clothing. Basically, you'll see the picture um, on page 13 of your worship guide. The priest had very specific clothing. The whole of chapter 28 is describing what the priest should look like in great detail. We pick it up in verse 2 of chapter 28. Basically, he was himself a walking tabernacle. He was just like the tabernacle, clothed in red and gold, all of uh, all of the, the, the linens and the curtains of the tabernacle were made out of the same materials that the priest's garments were made out of. Even the breastplate itself was square like the holy place itself. He was a walking tabernacle. And this is what we're told in verse 2. It's a big overview description. You shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make a breast piece. That was the square that had the, the uh, jewels on it and ephod. You see that there? That's the gold and blue and scarlet. It almost looks like an apron, a robe of blue underneath it, a turban on his head, a sash like a belt around his, his waist, linen, Underneath, these are holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. And on the turban, we read later, it was a plate of gold that had this title on it Holy to the Lord. And there are three words in verse 2 that are used to describe Aaron, the high priest's garments. Holy, glory, and beauty. You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. They were holy garments. Red on his head, holy to the Lord. Now we think of, of holy as like morally pure. And that is the way when God is described as holy, that holy, morally pure. There's no shadow. There's no sin in everything he does. He's right. He's pure, but when the word is used to talk 
about earthly things, most of the time throughout the Old Testament, holy means set apart, consecrated for God's purpose. Israel themselves were holy and a set apart people. They were to be holy as God is holy. Things that are used in God's presence have to be holy, consecrated, set apart. So we read in in chapter 29, Aaron had to go through this elaborate process of atoning for sin and then having oil poured on his head to set him apart for this work. He had to be holy. And they were also made, they were set apart, unique. He didn't go to the grocery store in these garments. He only went into the holy place in these garments. They were holy and set apart only to be used for God. They were also made for glory, weighty and significance. When you think of glory, think of that just weighty and significance. We intuitively, I think, get glory. Like there are certain people who are just really weighty in our lives and think glory. Weight was beyond physical. I mean, these were, I mean, you can see he was wearing gold on his chest and on his shoulders and this heavy garment of of linen underneath and an effort in a robe. I mean, like he was literally weighty garments were being carried into God's presence. I mean, I don't think, we kind of, we kind of get, again, intuitively get this. Like if somebody is of stature and importance, you should dress appropriately. If you're going to meet the president, you probably wouldn't wear flip-flops in a, in a tank top. Right? You would dress in your finest. Well, here he's, he's to be dressed in glory to meet with God. Lastly, the clothing was described as beautiful. The clothing was for beauty. It was pleasant to look at. The tabernacle itself was a massive work of art that would have just caused your eyes to to pop at how beautiful it was. And he was to be dressed in beauty. They were skilled craftsmen, we're told, who had God had given a spirit of skill. Like these were well-crafted materials made for beauty. But here's the thing. These three words, holy, glory, beauty, are the three words that are most used to describe God himself throughout the Bible. The reason the creation itself is so marvelous. You, you see the flowers popping up or drive through our hills and see the green just kind of causing you to stop for a minute and catch your breath or the mist floating in in the morning over the barns and you just stop for a minute and it you're in awe because God who himself is beautiful has made this world full of beauty he's left his fingerprints all over it and it stops us he's full of glory the most weighty one he himself is holy and so here's what God is saying through the priest's garment if you are going to be in God's presence, to have access to his power, you need to be exactly like him, clothed in the same holy beauty and glory. Anything short, unless you're clothed in perfect holiness, overwhelming beauty, jaw-dropping glory, you will be destroyed. One of the things the high priest had on the bottom of his blue robe, you can see it in the picture, was gold bells alternating. Pomegranates, gold bells. Pomegranates, gold bells. And in verse 35, we are told this. Aaron, when he ministers, it shall be the sound, the bells ringing, shall be the heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord. And when he comes out so that he doesn't die, 
And it seems to be more than just the bells that's being talked about. He needs to be clothed in God's beauty and his glory and his holiness, lest he die. You can't come into God's presence unless you are exactly like him. Anything short provokes his holy wrath. Here's our warning. Your best deeds will not clothe you with the holiness, glory, and beauty that God requires. This is what he says to Israel. You know, all of your righteous deeds are like polluted rags to me. They're utterly worthless. Not only do they not clothe you with your glory and beauty and holiness that's required, they're at the opposite ends of the spectrum. And I think this is the way we work. I come to Jesus... And that does good to cover all the sins in the past. But then I, then I do some things wrong, and I treat the Christian life like it's a ledger. This is the way, even if you're not a Christian, this is probably the way you think that Christianity works. It's like a ledger. Here in this column are all the things that I've done bad, and I need to put in this column a bunch of good works that will outweigh the bad so that God will be pleased with me and grant me the things that I need in this life. That's not the gospel. One author puts it this way, what was going on with Aaron. It is important to note that the one who is saved, the high priest, does not manufacture his own garments. Rather, the garments of holiness, beauty, and glory are given to him. That's the gospel. God clothes the sinfully weak so that we could enter his presence. That's the gospel. This is what Paul says in Galatians 3, 6. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. See that? Mediator. Granted access through faith in Jesus Christ to God's presence for as many have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Your translation might read, put on Christ. It's, it's the wardrobe language. He's borrowing from your closet. And he says, this is what God's done. He's literally clothed you with Christ. And there's this beautiful picture in Zechariah 3 of God doing this. Joshua, the high priest, is standing before God. He's representing Israel. And there Satan is accusing him. He's the mediator. So he stands as the representative in God's place. And Israel has been awful in their sin. They've rebelled against God. They've neglected his ways. They've forgotten his law. They have gone after their own desires. And Satan there is accusing him. He's clothed in filthy rags because he's representing Israel, all the things that they've sinned against God. And Satan is there accusing them. Look at what your people, how awful your people are, how weak they are. They're far from righteous. Look at how they're clothed. And this is what God does. Stop. Be quiet. And then he takes the robes off of Joshua, the high priest, the filthy garments puts them aside. And then this is what we read. Behold, I have taken your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. 
And I said, let them put a clean turban on your head and let them put a clean turban on his head and clean garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by and the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, it's okay. God's taken those clothes off of you and off of his people and he's clothed you with glory and beauty and holiness again. That's the gospel. God clothes the sinfully weak with Christ so that we have access to his throne room. It's amazed every time I read this. I was amazed again as Chad was reading it. Verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 10. And by that will, God, his plan, his work, We have been sanctified, made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all, for all times. Therefore, brothers, verse 19, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he's opened to us through the curtain, that is his flesh, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. New clothing is really an important metaphor for the Christian life. Really important. And you can think about the Christian life in this way. From, he, from Ephesians chapter four. Again, from the language of the wardrobe, put off your old self, which belongs to the former matter of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, putting on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Right? This is the way the Christian life works. They're like taking off these old clothes, you're like, this is not who I am anymore. Like this, is, this belongs to the, to the old Paul. I've been made new. I belong to Jesus. I have access to the throne room of God. This, this old way, this is like, take this off. This is, like a, this is like a bad Hawaiian shirt. I need to take this off and put on something a little more fashionable to who I am now. I'm clothed with Christ. I'm washed with pure water. This is not who I am. Just become who you are. This is how the Christian life works. Just become who you are in Christ. Seated with him in the heavenly places. Clothed with him in his holiness, his beauty, and his glory I'm just I gotta take that off years ago in a joint interview uh, three supermodels uh, did an interview at length describing what they had to do to their bodies to get to the point of beauty collectively these three supermodels appeared on over 2,000 magazine covers so like big deals to give you a sense of what they were told to do Because if they were going to continue to have access to power, they were going to do so through beauty. One of them was 5 feet 11 inches tall. It's fairly tall. Was 145 pounds. It's fairly thin for that size, that height. And she was told, you have to lose 15 pounds in order to have the beauty necessary to continue in a place of power. She said, I starved myself for four days and went on such a deep diet that I didn't have my period for two years. 
Another describes exercising so much and eating so little so that she could remain beautiful and have access to power. That her editor, she said, promised her if she would lose 12 pounds off her 115-pound frame, you lose 10%, I'll give you a trip to Rome and make you famous. She says, I took it to such extremes that I passed out during my first photo shoot. Had to be taken to the hospital. Beautiful people have access to power, but they can't be vulnerable and weak. But beauty, in order to have access to that kind of power, comes at tremendous expense. And so expend yourself, we're told, at all costs, just so that you could be somebody. And there's a little bit of truth there. Beauty does give us access to power. You see what the gospel comes in and says this. You can be who you are and God will clothe you. If you come to faith in Christ, God will clothe you with the beauty of his son, the perfection of his holiness and give you access by his glory now and forevermore. God works to clothe the weak and vulnerable so that we could have access to his throne of grace. Confidently enter with all of your needs, all of your weakness, and all of your vulnerability. Let's pray. God, we um, are so thankful to belong to such a great mediator, Jesus Christ. The ledger has been settled in our favor Help us to walk in confidence in this world because by him we have the most outstanding clothing. And if clothing makes the man and clothing makes the woman, then help us, oh God, to be vulnerable and bold in our approach to you, bringing all of our needs to you because you care for us in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Please stand for our hymn of response on page 15.
last function of the priest was to walk out of the tabernacle after having been in God's presence and deliver God's benediction, his blessing on his people. So if you've staked your life on Christ, you staked your life on his death, his resurrection, on him standing in your place, receive the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his delight on you. And as a result, give you peace now and forevermore. Amen.